Let's start by saying this. This episode is not about the usage or legalization of weed. That debate is for the rest of the world to have. As Vice stated in a 2016 article, quote, as marijuana goes mainstream, so do the stories about the legends of pot's cultural history. And that's what this episode is about. The people on this list unquestionably made their impact on the culture, but it also landed them in some hot bong water. From lavish Beverly Hills lifestyles to the backwoods of Kentucky, get ready for some high crimes that all came at a high cost. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 high crimes. Now, this list isn't just Donna and Kelso and Eric's basement. This is a much bigger thing operation-wise, I would say. Okay, number one, that is a definite, that is for sure. Yeah. And number two, when we were setting up for this, Elena had to ask me what Ashton Kutcher's name was in that 70s show. Call him out! But anyway. You just called me out. <laughs> I had to. But no, some of the people on this list are just straight up wild. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Like more so than the characters on this list, I feel like this is just about greed most yeah. of the time, this whole list, which is human nature, of course, but damn. But damn. <laughs> Whatever happened to just like sparking one up on your back porch, guys? I don't get it. This is like the stoner Olympics. <laughs> it is. Well, I have five super stoners and so does Elena, but neither of us knows what high crime will take the cake in the end. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, Bruce Perlowen and the Golden Gate Smuggling Company. Bruce started selling weed as a high schooler with the intention of just selling a feel-good product. But by the early 80s, he had one of the biggest marijuana smuggling operations the world had ever seen. 
Escalation. Well, by 24, <laughs> Bruce Perlowen was living in South Florida smuggling thousands of pounds of pot from Jamaica and making tons of money. Okay. So you know it was that good, good. <laughs> Some of that weed was shipped to San Francisco, so he flew out to California to check out the city and possibilities of smuggling there. It was like a little more than just a vacation. I was going to say, you know, that's not like, hey, we just want to see these cool streets. Hashtag work trip. <laughs> well, Bruce hired a research firm in Berkeley to learn how other major drug dealers had operated. He wanted to know about the mistakes they had made, like weak spots in law enforcement. He needed to get surveillance on the whole place. He needed intel. I didn't even know that was a thing that you could do. I didn't either. So Hire a research firm to do that. <laughs> well, wow. he did. And then he also bought a thousand foot pier and ran a fleet of 90 vessels, including fishing boats, speedboats, and even a converted minesweeper. What is happening right He is now? really getting into this. <laughs> yeah, this started off as a hobby. And then it got going real quick. It came more. Well, the LA Times said they hauled about 340,000 pounds of marijuana into California over a five-year period, with sales totaling $120 million. Oh, okay. Just that. But then... In 1984, Bruce was arrested and sentenced to 10 to 15 years in prison. Wow. So it all just came Crashing crumbling down. down. Ooh, in a big way. In a big way. Bruce told the LA Times from prison, I was addicted to greed. I wanted to own everything. When I got the money, I said, the heck with changing consciousness. Of course. That's what money does to people. Nine. Number nine on our countdown is the leader of the Black Tuna Gang, Robert Platshorn. In the 70s, Platshorn and his crew, the Black Tuna Gang, allegedly shipped 500 tons of marijuana into the U.S., which would make him a real-life kingpin. But as giant as his legacy seems, many of the numbers and accusations have been refuted, even by Platshorn himself. And we love a humble being. <laughs> we love a humble kingpin. Yes, absolutely. We love it. Robert Platshorn was touted as the largest drug kingpin, to which he says, nah. I love how, like, just <laughs> humble that. he is. That he's just like, no. Stay humble, stay blessed, no. Robert. Nah. Not me. Don't say that. Stop it. What? <laughs> but at the height of his pot smuggling days, which were between 1976 and 1977, he allegedly moved just a million pounds of marijuana. Wow. Just a million pounds. Where do you even put that to move? I can't even fathom a million pounds of anything. Oh my, shut up. You stole the words <laughs> directly out of my face. Is that like a space shuttle worth? I don't even know. I guess it would have to be like multiple boats it's like the lot. last guy. It's the Titanic. Well, the Chicago Tribune reported that his 105-page indictment mentioned $300 million in earnings, a dozen yachts, a fleet of aircraft, and all of it coordinated from the penthouse of a Miami Beach hotel. I just love a fleet of aircraft. Just a fleet. I'm going to need just a small fleet of aircraft. I'll just need a quick little fleet. That's all. Platshorn and the FBI agent that worked the case dispute the amount of marijuana he moved. They say closer to just 100,000 pounds, but he still clearly had a sizable operation regardless of what's happening. Yeah, and I love that they're also like, just 100,000. Like, come on, don't get crazy. Let's not inflate this too much. And Platshorn claims he was one of the first casualties of the war on drugs when he received an unprecedented 64-year sentence. Wow. Talk about making an example. Yeah, they did. Wow. 
That's a lot. That is. When referred to as a kingpin, he told the Daily Beast in 2017, quote, I was not even a safety pin. He's still a little too humble. He's trying too hard. I kind of love that. I do too. I was not even a safety pin. (laughs) Eight. Number eight on our countdown of top 10 high crimes is Amos Stovesilver, founder of the Telegrass website. Amos founded the online weed purchasing site, Telegrass, which was a mass distribution network for cannabis that was eventually shut down by the police. 42 suspects were arrested around the world and charged with different crimes, including drug trafficking, money laundering, obstruction of justice, possession of drugs other than for personal consumption, and tax evasion. Woof. Just a few things. Yeah, just a little laundry list. So in March of 2019, authorities shut down the messaging app Telegram because it hosted a forum known as Telegrass that made it easy for weed dealers to connect to buyers. Those allegedly connected to the management of Telegrass were arrested all over the world, from the U.S. to the Ukraine. Wow. Isn't that nuts? So Amos was arrested in the Ukraine, but he was to be extradited to Israel. On the way to the airport, though, he escaped and was on the run for one day. Oh, it wasn't that exciting. You did it. You tried. I got you. Amos was recaptured a day later. The Security Service of Ukraine, a.k.a. the SBU, suspected three of their own agents actually helped him get away. Ooh, an inside job. I bet they were fired. Amos and his associates were charged with running telegraphs, but also indicted for tax evasion and money laundering, accused of hiding just how much money was made because they used Bitcoin. I still don't understand what Bitcoin is. Never in my life will I understand it. (laughs) I don't think we'll ever know. I think it's good. I feel like Elon Musk is part of it. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. Well, it's believed that in just two years, Telegrass made it possible for as many as 200,000 buyers to purchase weed through the form. Wow. Lots of buyers. Success. Weed. Seven. At number seven this week is... The pot princess of Beverly Hills, Lizette Lee. Lizette Lee looked and acted like a rich socialite. She was also a liar. (laughs) She tricked people into believing she was the heiress to the Samsung and Sony corporations, a K-pop star, and she even called herself the Korean Paris Hilton. In reality, she was transporting tons of marijuana from California to Ohio and making millions. Listen, she was just figuring out who she was in life. There you go. You're just figuring it out. Give her a second. Well, Lizette Lee had a true Beverly Hills over-the-top lifestyle. Everyone bought her lies about who she was. Because if you can pretend, like show it, people are going to believe it. Fake it till you make it. Exactly. It's all about image. It is. It's like real-life Instagram. Yeah, people think I'm nice. (laughs) There you go. Inconsistencies, however, were noticed. Yeah. They were starting to be noted. She once claimed to have gone to a posh school with someone, and that person didn't even know who she was. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Why are you involving other people in it when they're not going to lie for you? That stinks. That's like like a Real Housewives of Salt Lake City moment. I'm sure it is. Yeah. She had different names and alibis to help with this whole thing. All right. She even had a fake name on her California driver's license, which she was charged for in 2006. Now she's just getting messy. It's getting real messy. Despite her posh exterior, she went as far as kidnapping and wiretapping with her group, Team LL, in order to secure and transport 
millions of dollars of weed. Wow. So I feel like we have like catapulted into a different level now. Yeah. It began with like, oh, I'm rich and a socialite. Everybody believes that, right? I went to school with this Paris Hilton person. And now it's like, let's kidnap and wiretap people. Okay, see you at eight. Yeah, that's totally fine. June 2010, on the tarmac in Columbus, Ohio, DEA agents met her plane and the vehicles picking her up and her crew up. Oh, imagine Uh the disappointment that ran throughout her body. You just touched down. I gotta say, (laughs) I I do feel for that a little. It's no good. It's no good. They found more than 500 pounds of marijuana in shrink-wrapped bricks. Oh, wow. So they weren't just finding little baggies every day. Shrink-wrapped bricks. This was real. In 28-year-old Lizette's crocodile purse. Yes. For Ash. Except don't, don't do that if it's real crocodile. No. Three cell phones, $6,500 in cash, a baggie of cocaine, and a drug ledger with weights and purchase prices totaling, oh, $300,000. Wow. Just for this one trip, mind you. This was like an overnight bag for her. Lizette. Killing it. Wow. Going too far. Way too far. Landing at number six is NASCAR drug smuggler Randy Lanier. Randy was Rookie of the Year at the 1986 Indy 500, a rising star. However, in his free time, he was also a big-time drug smuggler, bringing in weed from Mexico. At one point, he figured out how to stash up 100,000 pounds of weed on a barge in a way custom agents wouldn't find it. I did not see any of that coming. No, just driving NASCAR, being a rookie and then just like, whoa, it's a lot. Yeah. So Randy did surprisingly well in NASCAR for someone with a mysterious background and no formal race training. He won several impressive titles in 1984 as an independent team against the large backers. Where did he get his money, though? I need to know. I wonder. I know. His parents were blue-collar folk with lives far away from the high-octane racing and drug-trafficking route that their son chose. In the mid-80s, their operation was enormous, and the Lanier spent money lavishly with a net worth of about $68 Oh, okay. Which, by the way, is the same as Britney Spears. Oh, look at that. Like, pretty much. That's crazy. Now, his wife had just given birth when the FBI descended on his home while he was away. And guess what he did? What did he do? He made a run for it. Oh, Randy. His poor pregnant wife is just, or not pregnant anymore. just gave birth. Right? Ouch. Yeah, and now she's just like cooped up at home trying to recover and the FBI's like, the FBI just busts Hi, ma'am. We're here. (laughs) And your like dude-to-be just runs out of there. He's just like, I gotta go. No good. So the federal agents dug up $2 million buried in his father's backyard and more in a relative's basement. My goodness. And then Randy went on the run first in Pennsylvania, then with a mistress <gasps> to several locations abroad before he was finally caught and sentenced to life in prison, which later was shortened. I'm more mad at him for having a mistress. His wife just had a baby. I am pissed. How dare you, Randy? Rude. All right, well, Randy stands out to me. Randy definitely stinks. Not for the right reasons. Lizette is like a little bit of an icon. Lizette has taken the cake so far. I don't know who's going to be number one, but they've got big uh, stilettos to fill. They have a huge crocodile purse to fill. They really do. (laughs) 
this is nuts. This, this is, is like things I have no idea about. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loey, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of high crimes. Starting off the second half of our list is Nate Norman, a.k.a. Kid Cannabis. (laughs) (laughs) The early 2000s, Nate Norman was a 19-year-old high school dropout and pizza delivery guy who became a marijuana kingpin. At 21, he was found out and sentenced to 12 years in prison, but not before moving $18 million worth of weed. Oh, the movie Kid Cannabis is based on his life, actually. According to Nate's friends, he was picked on in high school, and Rolling Stone's article about him insinuates that he became a small-time drug dealer, kind of at first because he wanted to make people like him. Oh, which that's is sad. Really sad. Yeah. I just want to like be like, Pat, Pat, you're okay. But I also feel like we all knew that kid in high school. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's like maybe not the way to go about it. No, definitely not. But you know, hindsight. 2020. Nate came up with the idea to drive to British Columbia, Canada, about an hour's drive from his home in Idaho, and buy the extra potent weed sold there, dubbed BC Bud. Oh my God, I love that. He'd bring it back to the States and sell it, eliminating any middleman. A pretty sophisticated business plan considering his girlfriend said he could not spell the word marijuana and once misspelled 
pot. All right. See, I was going <laughs> to give him the benefit of the doubt when you said couldn't spell marijuana because it's there's like some silent. It's a tough one. That's yeah. a tough one. Pot <laughs> is really hard to misspell. It's hard. It's hard. I want to know how he misspelled it. But look at him coming up with this sophisticated plan. People's geniuses are in different areas. Your brain works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's going to be locked in on this other thing and, you know, spelling not so much. Yeah, and whatever. That's okay. That's okay. You're using it in other ways. Nate carried out the plan with a friend. The guys communicated with walkie-talkies and used pseudonyms, Joe Blow and Space Cowboy. <laughs> Icons. That they celebrated with some Outback Steakhouse. They better have got a Bloomin' Onion. If you didn't get a Bloomin' Onion, what was this all for? Yeah. For, was for it not, worth it? For not. It really was. Initially, they planned to quit after making $3 million. What? About a year, they thought. What? Yeah. But they started spending lavishly... Greed took over, and Nate went from the nice kid to real arrogant real quick. Mm-hmm. He bought a gun, and he started acting like he was just untouchable. Which it's like, come on, Nate. Just set up a retirement account. Stay humble, Nate. Come on. Come on, you could have had it all. After a rival dealer turned up dead, Nate's crew decided to go to San Diego, but the FBI caught them all before they went. Nate actually turned himself in, so see, he's still a nice guy. All right. He came forward and was like, all right, here I am. Yeah, you know, when the FBI is looking for you, I bet that's a humbling experience. It's weird that, that I kind of root for Nate. Mm, yeah. Like at parts of that. You're like, I want you to do something better. He's like, better than Randy. He's way better than Randy. Four. Landing at number four this week is Mr. Nice. Real name, Howard Marks. Howard Marks was a Welsh drug smuggler who seems like a James Bond meets pot dealer kind of guy. At his peak, he claimed to have been smuggling as much as 30 tons and was connected with groups as diverse as the CIA, the IRA, MI6, and the Mafia. Oh. His case obviously got international attention. Why, though? Well, <laughs> so in the 1960s, Howard was studying physics and philosophy at Oxford when he started dealing. I feel like he could have just, like, gone to Oxford and, like, had a great life. You just stay on that path. You're yeah, good. You're good. Now, his close friend died young from mixing hard drugs with alcohol, which affected Howard so much, he said he would never use cocaine and heroin. But he still went on to create a drug empire. Like, Go off. Uh, all right, Howard. Okay, go off, Howard. I, I'm not understanding that, like, you know, method of coping, but it's like, I won't to say? do it, but I'll definitely sell it. Definitely going to make it. So in 1976, he fled drug charges in Nevada and was on the run for some time. He even brazenly appeared on a stage at a live show in London with Elvis impersonators. Wow. Like, very confident guy we got here. Get it, Howard. Yeah. According to Time Magazine, Howard was one of the first drug dealers to expand into global business, thanks to his high level of personal contacts, I guess. I mean, he knew Elvis. He did. Not the actual Elvis. Dang. He even got acquitted in the early 80s by claiming he was working undercover for MI6. He wasn't, based on his New York Times obituary, though. Oh, He's a liar. <laughs> Howard was arrested by the U.S. in 1988 and in 1990 was sentenced to 25 years in prison. He served only five years and was released in 1995. His autobiography made him a best-selling author and stated that he ran multiple businesses in the 1980s that were all used as fronts for money laundering. Wow. Donald Nice was one of his aliases, hence the nickname Mr. Nice. Mr. Nice. Mr. Nice guy. 
three. Number three on our countdown of high crimes is Richard Stratton, leader of the hippie mafia. Stratton was described as a clean-cut college dropout who moved thousands of pounds of weed by boat and plane from the mid-60s to the early 80s. It was a crime he committed to help fund his real passion, writing. Oh. But you didn't see that coming. I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> when I first read that, I was like, oh, oh, okay. What I thought it was going to be something way different. Yeah. His success in drugs came from what he felt was an ability to get close to the people others couldn't or wouldn't to make deals, including Lebanese drug kingpins. Okay. You know, at the height of his pot smuggling career, he was making $3 million and up for each run. Oh, uh, what? This isn't like a yearly salary. This is like... See you next time. $3 million. Wow. Of course... His real passion is writing. Of course. (laughs) Of course. Like, what were you thinking? He told New York Mag when he worried about getting caught, he'd tell himself that if he landed in prison, at least he'd get some writing done. Do you feel that, though? Do you know how hard I feel that in my body? Yeah. That I'm like, you know, when you try to write and you don't have time to write, you're like, I would do some things to get some time to write. Right. (laughs) I get it. I'd go to jail for that. Would I go to prison? Nah. Mm -mm. He was arrested in 1982 and he was convicted under the Kingpin statute and sentenced to 25 years in federal prison. So he's going to have a lot of time to write. Like three books at least. He can write a few things. In prison, he actually used his time to study law and he appealed his own case, arguing that he had not failed to cooperate with investigators. Investigators. He won the appeal and had his sentence reduced to eight years. So he Ted Bundied it, but successfully. He Ted Bundied it way better than Ted Bundy. Like, Ted Bundy thought he was a lawyer. Mm-mm. He was overconfident. Mm-mm. He didn't have this. He also did what he said he'd do. He wrote a novel while serving time and became the editor of High Times. High Times. I'm screaming. I was just going to say that. Wow. Wow. All right, that last one, Richard Stratton. I love him. Wow. I love that he was just like, you know, I'm going to use this time to better myself and write a novel. He was like, I love writing. And, you know, I just need time to write. Yeah, exactly. And then he gets in there and he's like, you know what? I'm going to study law and I'm going to see that I didn't do anything wrong here. Yeah. I mean, my favorite is still Lizette. I mean, Lizette so far is just queen. Yeah. I don't know what to say about that. But I'm excited to see who the final two are. I'm excited to see who takes the cake, because you know and I don't. Oh, I know. All right. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Two. 
We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of high crimes. At number two is Jimmy Cornoyer, known as the King of Pot or the Pot Playboy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy was a Canadian drug trafficker who was the biggest supplier of marijuana to New York City and the East Coast. His drug trafficking empire included the use of Hell's Angels, the Sinaloa Cartel, Native American smugglers, and Rizzuto and Bonanno crime families. In the mid-2000s, Jimmy's operation employed the Hells Angels to drive pot across the border from Canada into the U.S. Easy deal. He used the Sinaloa drug cartel to launder nearly a billion brought back to Canada in pickup trucks equipped with secret traps in their radios and gas tanks. His squad runs deep. I mean, he's got Hells Angels. He's got Hell Angels. He's got Hell Angels. <laughs> the New York Times quoted a New York prosecutor that said, We never saw anything like this guy before. In terms of his longevity and scope and the connections he had around the world, nothing. Nobody comes close. Wow, what a, like honor. <laughs> Jimmy is that guy, you know? He also liked to spend his money on expensive, fast cars, including a Bugatti worth $2 million. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds insane. A Bugatti? I don't. I think it's just like a really nice car. It sounds like it. Rappers are always like, Bugattis, yeah. Oh, they, yeah. yeah. That's what they say. <laughs> now, one associate said that Jimmy kept $2 million on hand so he could, at any point, take a hit out on anybody who betrayed him. Oh, okay. Same. Yeah. Like, what? Isn't that what everybody does? Yeah. No? I've okay. always got that in my crocodile purse, yeah. just in case. In 2007, a tip from a disgruntled ex-girlfriend was the beginning of the end. Oh, no. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. That's right. Now, the DEA spent five years investigating, wiretapping, flipping informants, planting undercover agents, and all of that to bring Jimmy down. I mean, you got to do a lot to bring this guy down. I guess so. Even though it was just weed, the New York Times reported that the prosecutors argued, quote, Jimmy's operation was a violent one that led to the enrichment of other criminal syndicates. Wow. How is he not number one? I don't know, but I guess you know. I'm shocked. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 high crimes. Johnny Boone, a.k.a. the Cornbread Mafia leader, a.k.a. the Godfather of Grass. And that's why this is number one. Number one. The Cornbread Mafia was the name of a group of Kentucky men led by Johnny Boone, who created the largest domestic marijuana production operation in U.S. history. Johnny had spent 20 years in prison already for a marijuana operation in 1987. So when police came knocking in June 2008, Johnny became a fugitive on the run. All these guys are running. They're just running. You gotta run. So far away. They're eating a lot of, like, snacks, so they want to run to keep the weight off. There you go. That's what it is. In the 80s, the Cornbread Mafia operated out of hidden pot farms across 10 different states. So it's wow. pretty widespread. Yeah. Unlike most of the others on this list, Johnny did not live an especially flashy lifestyle. Yeah, he just made cornbread and lived his life. He was humble. I mean, if you're the cornbread mafia, like, you're chill. Yeah, I cornbread feel. mafia seems like the chillest of all mafias. Cornbread's so good. The author of a book about the cornbread mafia, James Higdon, points out that the 80s operation was born in a time when the local tobacco crops were no longer really sustaining farmers and their families. Uh, the cornbread mafia booby-trapped their pot farms with rattlesnakes. 
like, what? Oh, so they're not so chill. Dynamite? Oh, yep, nope. And even eye level freaking fish hooks. Oh, not fish hooks. No, 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 no. Let's take back that chill. Yeah, It'll your crown with. is gone. Gone. I took it off with a fish hook. Eye level fish hooks. Oh, ow. That's why they're number one. I don't like it. This gang also reportedly had their guard dogs' vocal cords removed, so the dogs would silently attack rather than bark and alert trespassers. First of all, that's really awful. It's awful. I need to know who knew how to do that properly. I've seen things where dogs have had their vocal cords removed, like the bark that they make. Oh. The scariest thing, because it's a silent bark. It's like a... I can't even... I can't make the sound. That's like real... It's real scary. Well, it's silent. And it's so upsetting. That's... Such animal cruelty. Yeah, Don't do that. That's wild. In June 2008, police discovered Johnny growing over 2,400 marijuana seedlings on his farm outside of Springfield, Kentucky in Washington County. Well, Johnny fled. Of course. And the locals, though, they were loyal to him. They said even if they knew where he was, they were not going to rat him out. Yeah, because he has fish hooks and dynamite, obviously. You, you better believe that that is the smartest thing they could have done. They're like, no, no. If you're going to be loyal to anybody, let it be to the guy with fish hooks. Let it be to this guy. <laughs> the godfather of grass. Let it be to that. Yeah. Johnny was tracked down, however, in 2016. And during that time, he used at least one pseudonym, Charles Grass. Like you couldn't have just picked anything else. Hardy Har. We love a good pun. He ended up pleading guilty in the end. The godfather of grass, everybody. Wow. Elena, what do you think? Did they miss anything? The Godfather of Grass is number one. Absolutely. By name alone, but then you add the eye level fish hooks and the guard dogs with no vocal cords and it's like okay and the fact that they're called the cornbread mafia yeah you can't put that at number like six no because you're lulling everyone into a false sense of security and then you're just got a fish hook in the eye yeah this was really insane i'm shook i don't think anything was left off and even if something was i don't know about it <laughs> i definitely don't know about it because honestly i didn't know any of these well i just didn't know that like weed things got this intense yeah i didn't know that either we're just you know we don't know I th this isn't like blow you know that's what I was like, thinking of this yeah, whole time. Exactly. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker. And if you can't get enough of these creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even more episodes about this week's stories that we think Think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do, you can follow us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can listen to Morbid, a true crime podcast, or you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. We hope you keep it weird till next Monday, but definitely don't do anything on this list. No. Crime Countdown is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen and associate produced by Jonathan Ratliff. Fact checking by Kara Macerline. Research by Ambika Chotera, Jay Cahio, and Mickey Taylor. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. <laughs>